All right, welcome in to another episode of the Reform Roundtable. My name is text. Parker Stoddard. Do you want to read a text first? Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that's that's supposed to be our thing. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Welcome in to another episode of the Reform Roundtable. My name is Parker Stoddard. I'm Larry Porak. Uh, oh, hey. Uh, yeah, I'm Michael Pagan. Oh, what's up, dude? What's up? You're what's not usually on? here. I'm new. He's How are you doing? Yeah, I He's am back. back for another one. Thanks for having me back. Obviously, the first one went good enough that you like were comfortable, so that's yeah, cool. Yeah, you, you're, you're all right, you know. Oh, thanks, man. We actually we took just a vote. give you another shot. <laughs> that's it was that's, that's exactly what this is. We're giving you another shot. Redemption. <laughs> yeah. We believe in redemption, too. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so maybe just, like, be, like, a little bit passionate this time, you know? Okay. I should actually care about this one? Yeah, exactly. Okay, we, we, gotcha. You know, we, we need to just step it up, gotcha. like, a couple notches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. What I'll, he said. I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> we actually voted to have you back, and it was 51-49, so. Sweet. It was, it was a skinnier team How do you get that from three people? Don't don't ask that question. Okay, that's right, that's not cool. for you to know. We have a council. Uh, understood. We have an ecclesiology. No, we right, don't. We I don't. submit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Cool. So uh, today we wanted to dive into the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm. Uh, because dun, dun, dun. Uh, exactly yes. As those who hold to reform theology, uh, a lot of times we get the accusation of worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, and completely disregarding any sort of spiritual realm. And that's just not true. We don't believe that. What yeah. do we believe, Michael? Dude, the spiritual realm is real. The spiritual realm is active. And the Holy Spirit is intimately connected to every single second of our life as believers. We have a massive doctrine of the Spirit. Uh, so that's really, really important to understand. That's like part of what it is to be reformed, is to recognize that we depend on the Spirit for absolutely every moment of our lives. And some of the things that we depend on the Spirit are like speaking in tongues, right? hearing from God oh, and right. giving prophecy. <clears throat> yeah. So we're actually going to have a <clears throat> workshop on speaking in tongues on... I'm about to give the... a word of knowledge. Let's go, <laughs> dude. Let's we got go. Jokes. We got jokes. That's right. Uh, we would definitely hold to, to different views on those things from an exegetical basis. For sure. <laughs> those are really important topics though. Like what we see in the physical is certainly a representation of what's going on in the spiritual. Yeah. Uh, they're very intertwined, yes. uh, intimately, and uh, that's that's something that is just inescapable uh, as a Christian. Okay, let's start off at the top, right? So we have God. We already dropped our episode on immutability, so we started with God. He is spirit. Uh, he's also a simple being. That'll be another episode, I'm sure. So what else is out there, though? Yeah. So we have God existing, uh, self-sufficient, eternity past. What else is there? Right. Um, so there is a whole spiritual realm out there that we cannot see um, because we see what's physical. We have physical eyes and they take in physical light in order to see. But there's a whole other reality above us that is uh, it's real, it's out there, and it's actually affecting the world as we, as we talk and as we live and as we watch the news and as we go to work and all of that kind of stuff. Um, the terminology is difficult here because the word that, that we use historically and the word that the Bible, especially the New Testament, tends to use for the whole spiritual realm is the word angel. Uh, and the word angel can mean, uh, at, at its core, it really means messenger, 
right? You have like Mark 1, 2. Mark uses the word angelos, where we get angel, to describe a human messenger, John the Baptist. Uh, and he's quoting Malachi 3.1, which uses the Hebrew word malach, which is the, it also means messenger, describing a human messenger. So, so when you think angel, at first you need to be thinking messenger. Now, it can either be a human messenger or a divine messenger. But by and large, the vast majority of the time in Scripture, it's using the word angel uh, to describe the whole set of spiritual beings out there. But really, angels, uh, more specifically, especially when you take the terminology of the Old Testament, they're really uh, just one subset of a, a lot of different types of spiritual beings. And we can yeah, go into those so different yeah, what types. Are, if we're what curious. are those different types and what are their roles? Ooh, there are so many of them. <laughs> so, so let's do a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, let's do them all. Um, okay, I mentioned angels. In 30 for, seconds. We'll do every single go, one. Let's go. Go, go. Uh, I mentioned angels, their messengers. Uh, the verse we read at the top really gives their job description. Their job is uh, to work for God in order to serve him and to serve his church, which is really cool. So when you see uh, when you see like spiritual guys popping up in the story to tell somebody something, those are angels. That's what we're working with. And then we have archangels who are like the top of the class for them. They're the ones that lead the charge. Like Michael. Oh, hey. Not, oh, not Michael yeah. Pagan. Oh. Not you. Yeah, no, not me. Michael the no. archangel. No, I wouldn't even. Are you named after the archangel? Uh, my parents weren't believers when they named me. So, oh, so no. maybe Michael Scott from but, the office. Uh, my middle name is Scott. Oh my goodness. It's so. Michael Scott Pagan. Yeah, big revelation there. But yeah. Michael, Michael. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the original Michael Scott. Amazing. Um, yeah. Not named after the archangel. Although that, that would be cool. Uh, you also have, um, you have cherubim, you have seraphim, you have ophanim, you have uh, rulers and principalities, you have rephaim. They're like all kinds of different. Those are all Hebrew words. Um, im, they all ended with im. That's just the, the masculine and plural. So it's kind of like saying cherubs, seraphs, ophans, rephas, that kind of a thing. Does that mean that all angels are males? Um, or is that just the, the grammar of it? You know, or do we, we not don't know? get genders of angels in scripture. And in fact, uh, gender is a, it's a physical thing and angels are spirits. So it sort of doesn't work. So it's just a grammatical it's thing. It's a grammatical thing. Perfect. But they are, uh, especially angels are always depicted as male in scripture. So that's yeah, something, okay. something to note. But so yeah. what does a cherubim do? What does a seraphim do? Yeah, yeah. So the cherub oh the cherubim are so cool. They're the the freaky ones that you see in like Ezekiel and Revelation and all that kind of stuff that have like multiple heads and there's like all a lion head and, and an eagle head and yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so many good um, memes of of those. Oh yeah, the 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 realistic looking angels. You guys angels. know what I'm thinking of. You look like an angel and then yeah, there's yeah. the guy like, oh, <laughs> like a ball of eyes with some wings or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the cherubim, they have a very specific job. They guard holy places. And so the first time you meet them is Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden because of their sin. And there's a flaming sword and a cherubim or a set. Of, I actually don't remember how many there are, but it's in Genesis 3. You can go check. Uh, but they're there to guard the path back into the garden. So they, they guard the holy places. Um, you see them in... Uh, across a lot of the prophets and even in the law, uh, there are cherubim in the most holy place, which the Bible says is God's footstool. Um, so they guard his throne. And then you see them in Revelation 
four or five. I'm trying to remember, but uh, the, again, just sitting there next to next to God, it's kind of like how an earthly king would sit on a throne that has like lion heads to show that he's powerful. Yeah. Well, God's got living cherubim that wow. make up his throne, and, and so that's actually a really cool way to tie. And you have the holy of holies, which is tied to the heavenly. Uh, temple in Revelation, which is also tied to Some typology, Eden, right there. Which is the yeah, it's the first temple. Um, all of them, the holiest places, are guarded by cherubim. Um, you have seraphim, which are burning like serpent-like uh, kind of things. You see, you meet them. The only place you meet them is Isaiah six, uh, and maybe in Numbers, where the the fiery serpents bite the the israelites but that's a whole separate question but um yeah. anyway um they float around they have six wings two cover their eyes two cover their feet two they fly with uh, and they just they just fly around freaking out about god's holiness that's their whole job so they sit in his throne room and just like get super hype about how holy god is that they're essentially god's hype man yeah, yeah straight up which is wild to think about holy, how holy, holy god is because he's a thrice holy god yes yeah these things that would they would like kill us if we saw them we just mm. freak out and wow. shut down those things themselves are freaking out eternally about how holy god is that's incredible so that's really cool that's glorious um you got the ophanim the, those are wheels those are the ones that have the eyes oh gotcha. uh, those are the wheels of god's throne like uh his his mobile chariot thing they just cru they're god's wheels like that's crazy um and then rulers and principalities are a big one they actually come up you, you wouldn't know that they're spiritual beings uh, unless you read scripture holistically, um, but they come up all over the place uh, when Colossians talks about, like uh, Colossians 2 talks about Christ defeating the rulers and principalities when he died on the cross. That's that's language for, for spiritual beings. There's And those are the ones that are... Um, are those the ones that are fallen? Yes. The one third. Yeah. 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 yeah, you meet them in Daniel, you potentially meet them in Deuteronomy. Um, they're the ones that, that are in charge ultimately of nations. So like when Michael the Archangel is coming down, yeah. and it takes him forever to get through this battle. Yeah, it takes him like, what, three weeks or something like that? It's yeah, because he was 10. battling against these spiritual beings. The rulers and principalities. Yeah, he like calls that... him the prince of Persia, right? Right, you have right, this right. spiritual being or set of spiritual beings that is in charge of Persia. That's incredible, which Christ disarmed and yes. put them to open shame. Yes, triumphing over them. So the, Absolutely. yeah, I feel like this is kind of a natural spot to go in, <laughs> but we would all hold in our eschatology uh, that we're in the millennium, that Satan is bound with regards to deceiving the nations, right? Uh, that Christ rules and reigns. I'll just say it. I'll just say it. We're, yeah. we're all mill. So there's no confusion. <gasps> we're, we're all millennials. That's the Parker, correct answer in case you're wondering. I am all mill. Oh, it happened. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> It took it took it took a minute. I was I was actually post mill, so I, I grew up Disby, uh, just with that as the default. I didn't really know what to think. I watched Left Behind growing right, up. We all did. I believe right, yeah. right. It's 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 the the air that we breathe. I was a fish, and I was told I was surrounded by this thing called water. Yeah, and the water was dispensationalism. Uh, and then I listened to a shout out to Apologia and a lot of the great stuff and work that they've done and put out. So I listened to a ton of that. Um, I was heavily influenced by a lot of the post millennial thought there. And then uh, after I, I dug in more, uh, it was really exegetical for me seeing texts like Isaiah 65, and I see them fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth uh, primarily. So yes, I am all mill. We're all all mill here. So shout out to, shout out to us. Shout out to all millennialism. Shout you out to what? all millennialism. Here's man. to all millennialism. <laughs> Let's raise an invisible yeah. glass. Cheers. 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 Clank. Clank. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. Yeah. So uh, we would say that uh, we should probably define that term real quick. Michael, want to give a quick definition of yes. Yeah. A loaded question, but a succinct version, maybe. Yeah, so you have the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ in Revelation 20. And all millennialism really is just the view that uh, that that's symbolically describing the entire church age. So the whole age from Jesus' resurrection to uh, Jesus' fi- final return, second coming, and um, the final resurrection and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so so that that is describing the age that we live in now. So we would say that we are experiencing both the millennium and the tribulation at mm-hmm. the same time. We're in the, the great tribulation. tribulation yeah. The great tribulation, yeah, which John says he's a fellow partaker in. Mm-hmm. Totally. And and we would also say, I think that uh, some stuff is for sure in Revelation tied tied to some specific events in the yeah, first century. For sure. But overall, yeah, uh, we would see it as as an ongoing cycle of of the battle of good and evil. Totally. And that means... Then, if we're in the millennium, then what is said in Revelation 20 is true, and Satan is bound he is. from deceiving the nations right now, which is huge for considering the spiritual realm and how we interact with the spiritual realm. And yep. you have this framework of, you know, Satan and his his demons, his rulers and principalities who are ruling over all of the nations, and suddenly in, in the death and resurrection of Christ, he's defeated him. He's bound him. He has bound the strong man. That's something I hear prayed weirdly all the time of like, Lord, would you bind bind the strong man right now? We bind Satan in Jesus' name. already bound, y'all. And who keeps loosening him? Yeah, exactly. How does he keep getting out? Use better ropes. Come (laughs) on. Use better ropes, better spiritual ropes, better spiritual lessons. Whatever you have to do. Totally, yeah. That's that's one big misconception, right? Because the binding and loosing is in reference to uh, the church authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's bound on in heaven will be bound on earth, right? Did I phrase that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I second guess myself there, but yeah, yeah. nailed it. Uh, it's it's the keys to the kingdom, and that doesn't mean we can just go around blabbing. It talks about church authority, not just whenever I don't get a parking spot, you know, or or there's an issue in my life, I have to bind the devil because Jesus did that. Praise God, He did that. Right, that you glorious. get that in in. Gosh, I want to say Mark five. Um, but uh, it's probably risky to just throw out references and not know if they're right. <laughs> it really is. A great plan. Anyway, um, wherever it is, somewhere near the beginning of Mark, Jesus talks about, you know, you don't go in and plunder a strong man's house unless you bind him. And um, he's using the parable to describe himself. He is the one that went into the world and bound the strong man. And now he is plundering his house. Amen. He is taking an inheritance for himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation across the earth right now as we speak because the ruler of the world is bound and the true ruler is here now amen and he's making his enemies yes yes. totally totally he is king overall right one thing that that really just ties home on that practical level of the binding of satan is in large part there were some 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 pagans that came into the faith uh in the old testament a handful right right Mm -hmm. but uh after the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and ascension, uh, what we see now is the gospel is going forth and it's covering the nations. Mm-hmm. Previously, it was, it was pretty much excluded to those in Israel. Uh, and now we see the gospel covering covering the world. And right. it's so encouraging. Right. It's yeah. no longer a Jewish gospel because it's a gospel for the whole world. Amen. Yeah. It was always the promise. It was always the promise to be a blessing yeah, to the world. Yeah, it was the plan all along. That Abraham would go out and he would make him a nation. Yes. So we've talked about the spiritual realm, how it's real, uh, the implications now for the gospel going forth to the nations, 
uh, the fact we're in the millennium. Uh, what does it what does it mean though? Like, are we supposed to seek this out? What's our relationship now to the spiritual realm as believers? Right. I immediately go to Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So we get this principle here, and man, this is like it, I kind of feel like if you could just memorize one verse, maybe just memorize this one. Try to live by this because yeah, it is the one. fount of a lot of wisdom. But uh, we have some things about the spiritual realm revealed to us in Scripture. Some things. Very few. We know the names of these different kinds of beings. We know what they do. We know that Christ defeated them. Uh, we know that he's in charge. That's kind of it, right? And so a lot of this stuff has not been revealed to us by God. And so according to Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, we... We need to live based off of what has been revealed to us in his word. And that means we should not go searching out the spiritual realm. We don't seek it out. It's there and it matters, but largely it's not for us. It's not the kind of thing we should go hunting down. Would you say we have authority over it as believers? Because that that is an issue of a lot of topic, mm. like or a topic of a lot of discussion rather. Um, do we have... The authority, you know, what, what type of authority has Christ given us now? You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing to the church. He's telling them, hey, you guys got to stop suing each other. Like, quit it. And his reason is because one day you are going to stand as the rulers and the judges over all of creation. And like, you need to start practicing now. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to bring your cases before the world when the world won't even be there with you in the new heavens and new earth. You need to step into this now. Um, and one of the things he tells us is that you will one day in the future judge angels. Wow. One day. <laughs> That's a text in there, not going to lie, that I think could make a lot of believers squirm a little bit. Yes. So it, it weird. It sounds uncomfortable. So weird. Yeah. Um, I think we get this principle if you read Psalm 8 and then you look at how it's quoted in Hebrews. Uh, we get this principle that the hierarchy right now is you have God at the top and then next step down you have the spiritual realm, especially angels, and then next step down you have humans. Even though we're the pinnacle of his creation. Right. And I think that that is a we're the pinnacle in anticipation of what we will be eschatologically, because I think that order is going to flip Boom okay. in the new heavens and new That's earth. That's huge right there. I think that answers the question. Yes. So post, uh, in fact, he says, um, Hebrews chapter two, verse six, uh, or let's start in verse five. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, ultimately, that's pointing to Jesus as the, the true human. Um, but as we are all united to him, we then participate in that true humanness. And so that means that a day is coming when the order will be flipped. It won't be God, angels, humans. It'll be God, human, angels. So it's an already not yet tension that we find right. ourselves in yet again. <laughs> right. And so I think that the question then would be like, okay, so can we step into that authority now? Um, we just don't get any guiding principles in scripture on how but we Michael, might... what about casting out demons? We see that. Yeah, we see it happen. 
Yeah. <laughs> We're not told how to do it. Right. Like Paul's not writing to, even to the Corinthian church, they seem like the far and away the most spiritual church of them all. And he's not writing to them. And he's like, okay, so you get a demon possessed guy coming in. Here's what you have to do. He doesn't do any of that. We see Christ uh, casting out demons. We see the apostles casting out demons. And then we see demon possession and demon casting out just, pff, it's gone. Yeah. And uh, it's so always astrological to some extent. Yeah. Um, because it was a very unique time in the first century. Yes. You know, I, I think that the the demonic spiritual forces were really in a frenzy. Mm-hmm. As the Son of Man, God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, had right. taken on flesh. So I, I do think, I would agree, I totally think that was a unique time in redemptive history. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have had stories of people uh, who were, ha- you know, had all the biblical signs of demon possession mm-hmm. and someone prayed for them. Mm-hmm. They didn't specifically, like you're saying, seek to cast it out. Yeah. But they do believe that they casted a demon out just by default of praying. Right. Uh, but kind of like you're saying, it's not like we need to start uh, a demon casting out ministry because there's no basis for that in scripture. Exactly. And honestly, it gets weird pretty fast. Yeah, it gets weird super fast. It, and it's majoring in the minors. And that's the kind of thing, that story is the kind of thing that could happen in like biblical counseling at our church. Yeah, where we, wow. uh, you step into the room with someone who's been been trained really to guide you into the gospel and to guide you into God's word as the solution for the issues that you're facing. Demon possession is the same way. Like the only way that I'm going to cast out a demon is through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit coming yeah. in. Amen. Right? Amen. So yeah, we don't, we don't get detailed instruction i i was actually taught how to cast out demons in seminary oh um, no so in my, western yeah, western, yeah in my oh theology classes the 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 theology professor was very it was very charismatic and so yeah we we did a whole module on how to cast them out do you do you ask them their name or not what, what do you do with the fact that demons <laughs> did you pass goose egg zero <laughs> you know what i didn't have to do a practical thank god oh okay um, but yeah, zero exegetical basis from that. I mean, looking at the Gospels, and he would try to piece together the different patterns that you see and how Christ does it and how the apostles do it. And, and what happens when you look at the the Gospels and Acts is things are done just so differently in each case, usually because there's a larger point to the story that it's trying to teach you. It's not trying to give you instructions on like how to do an exorcism. You know, how do you heal someone? Do you not touch them at all? Or do you let them touch your clothes? Or do you put mud on them? Like, which one? Well, do you just... Do you spit in them? their face? Like, leg drop the pastor. Smith Wigglesworth? Yeah. Right. <laughs> do, you, do you spit um, on your hands and put it on their face? It, exactly. <laughs> Jesus does it so differently in each right. case because there's there's a, a more underlying point usually about the spiritual blindness of Israel. Absolutely. That's, that's occurring. That in was my passages. next point. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All of his miracles, when he opens deaf ears... Uh, when he sets the captive free, it's the point forward to the fact that he sets us free from sin. 100%. So, you know, one could be listening to us and, you know, they might think, but, you know, but but Pastor Michael in, in John 14, verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So doesn't that mean that because Jesus cast out demons, that that we would also, it would be expected that we'd be casting out demons as well? Yeah, I think greater there means greater in number, Yeah. first off. Um, so it's not like a ratcheting up, like, oh, Jesus cast out one demon, but like, we're going to cast out like a bajillion or whatever. It's not right. that. There are a lot of works that Jesus does that we just don't do. For Raise example, from the dead. 
raising himself from the dead. Haven't done that one Dying yet. on the cross. We don't, we don't do that. Um, you know, saving the whole world. That's not really our job, that sort of thing. So we can't immediately jump from Jesus says, you're going to do the works to like, oh, we're going to do every single work that he did. I have not walked on water. No one has since other than Peter. Yeah, so I, I don't think that's a that's a legitimate inference from that verse. Um, the, the works that we do are the ones that God has prepared for us to do. And really, we, we have a whole New Testament telling us what those works look like. And other than seeing Jesus do these things, which are often not repeatable, we just don't get any indication that that's something that we should be seeking out. Yeah, you know, that's so, great. In, in the case of somebody who, you know, perhaps does have an unhealthy fascination with these things, how would you counsel that individual? Oh, man. First of all, repent. Right. I think I would want to know... What do you think you're, like, what are you getting from this experience of dwelling on the spiritual realm, perhaps interacting with the spiritual realm, whatever you're doing? What do you get from that? Because I'm pretty confident that we could go to scripture and we could show how um, really they're settling for second best. Like, I don't want to discount the reality of whatever things you're experiencing. I really think we interact with the spiritual realm. I really do. Um, but at the end of the day, because the secret things belong to the Lord and because the things that have been revealed belong to us, you're going to get a better version of whatever you're looking for from God's word yeah. than you are from uh, from seeking it out on your own. Right. Um, and Satan is the father of lies, right? And so that that is his main strategy, is lying and killing. That is what he does. That's what he's seeking out to accomplish. And so you can't you can't just traipse into the spiritual realm thinking like, oh yeah, I got this. I'll be good. I'm gonna go in there and I will be totally fine. They're gonna maybe teach me some things. I don't know, you know, but I, I can discern. No, you can't. He is a liar. You need God's word in order to discern what you're trying to learn, um, how to think about these things, how to interact. You need God's word for all of it because God is the one who is truth. Christ calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. And so all the words that he speaks is are true. And so, yeah, fundamentally, that's that's where I would go. It's just to yeah. point them to... Like whatever you're looking for, you can have it better from the word, right? Without the risks, and and I would also push back, uh, not not to you, but to like the, uh, the the individual that has an unhealthy fascination with this. I would I would push that person, and I would challenge them and say, you know, if you know, for lack of a better word, if if you do have like aspirations of being a a demon fighter or whatever, you know, it might be, but you do have a passion for you know, battling, you know, the spiritual mm -hmm. realm, then I would challenge you to get out there and share the gospel. Yeah. You know, get out there and evangelize Mormons, get out there and evangelize Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. Who, the truly demonic. Right. Muslims, exactly. Muslims. them. Right. Like there are... The secularist atheist. Yeah. There are demons that are behind those religions that brought those religions up to be this cheap version of Christianity, to offer, you know, this cheap grace, this cheap salvation by parading themselves as bringing, uh, bringing a, a message of life when the reality is they're bringing a message of death because they're pitting them against the living God of Scripture. Wow. Yeah. And so if you want to, you know, battle the spiritual realm, I mean, I, I don't know, whatever your motivation might be, then go and preach the gospel, open your mouth, Preach Christ and Him crucified.
so good. Yeah, it has to lead to to application, right? And what better way to do that than by sharing the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we are given tools to do war with the spiritual realm, and those tools are the ordinary means of grace. Yeah, right. Be a part of a church. Pray regularly. Read your Bible. Partake in the sacraments. Sit under the preaching of the word. Get baptized. Get baptized. Mm-hmm. Share the gospel. Be a member. Yeah, be a member. Serve. Like make dinner for people in your church. I mean that that is uh, those are the things that we're called to. That's the Ephesians six putting mm-hmm. on the full armor of God. Yes. Yeah. So good. It's really really. Uh, it, it is it is funny when you when you look at the picture that the scriptures paint. We are thrown into this wild wild war that is going on above us with all of these crazy spiritual implications and we're called to love our neighbor <laughs> That's right. war. it's like yeah just um just like work hard uh, you, you know the just tell people about jesus or like yeah um yeah you know it's 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 so simple it's so ordinary right. and that's not really very exciting um, it doesn't appeal to our our vanity the way we would like, but that is how God has ordained things. Totally. Yeah, yeah I was going to add on to that that last point right there. Christ is better, right? Yeah. Like, like you were saying, he is. we will be so much more fulfilled uh, when we are really uh, in his word, when we're really partaking of him and his person and his work. Then from that place, we're going to want to go out and participate in the ordinary means. Exactly. But this kind of cessationalized Christianity, if, if you can call it that, um, it really is kind of a step into to mysticism oftentimes. Yeah. It's just not it. Like how many Old Testament and New Testament warnings and examples do we get to not seek after those things like you're saying? Right. Um, what are we supposed to do? What is the application? It's not that we deny rather uh, the spiritual realm and all these applications and uh, the war that has been won by Christ, but it, it's still going on to some extent. Um, it's that, no, like we understand that. And now what do we do? We we love our wives. Right, we, exactly. Exactly. We work hard to the glory of, of God. We don't muzzle the ox while he's treading, mm-hmm. our pastors. Uh, we share the gospel. Mm-hmm. We raise up children in the way they should go. Mm-hmm. And, and this is some of the most um, really impactful and fulfilling uh, kingdom work that we can do that is absolutely war in the spiritual realm. 100%. Yeah, read Colossians 3. That's how you take on the spiritual realm. Come on. Come on, somebody. Put off sin. <laughs> put on Christ. Put on Christ. Yes and amen. Yeah. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 says it's in the context of uh, food being sacrificed to idols, but I think there's an applicable point here. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, indeed there are many gods and many lords, uh, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom all things exist, and the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist, right? So, like, the application here is that we just serve Christ. You know, we don't have to, and we, we don't have to be, you know, the, the next, you know, big thing. Um, but like Michael is saying, the New Testament calls us to participate in uh, the ordinary means of grace. We're called to participate in Christ himself, that we would share um, in a death like his, that we might share in a resurrection like his. And that doesn't mean that miracles don't happen. Miracles no. happen every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, God works those powerfully and effectively. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, like those lowercase g fake gods 
and those lowercase l fake lords yeah uh if they exist if they're not simply just wood <laughs> made by men in that passage we're talking about uh, principalities that have been triumphed over and they're losers that's right they're whack they're whack straight whack get out of here man miss us with that yeah miss us and yeah, to your point on miracles, um, it's like, yeah, like miracles do happen every day. The dead sinner comes to life every single oh, day. Yeah, People are yeah. reconciled to God every single day. Like Pastor Michael was saying, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Yeah, it's easy to 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 hear that as like a, a cop out. Of yeah. Like, yeah, miracles happen every day. What? Yeah, like people come to faith and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's all your time. No, Ephesians literally calls that resurrection. People rising from the dead, like you were saying. It's it, That is the most insane miracle it's incredible. that could ever happen. It's incredible. And it, it happens. We're Calvinists. We love evangelism. That's we right. We love it. That's right. They're out there. We're the only ones who have hope that it'll work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And I won't try and quote the text off the top of my head, but... Um, when Jesus asks, what's the greater miracle here, essentially, for this, for me to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven? What does he say? It's, John it's five. Yeah. What is it? Uh, John chapter five. John chapter five. Thank you. Uh, the greater miracle is that his sins are forgiven, which not only shows Jesus's divinity there and that he is God able to forgive sins, but that confirms that the greater miracle is for us to be seen blameless yeah. because of Christ's work. Yep. Yeah. Amen. So good. Love so it. So good. And yet he still heals him because mm -hmm. he's that good of a God. Yeah. And it points forward to the fact that he can spiritually cause someone to rise. That's awesome. Amen. Let's put a cap Want on it. Want me to read it? Uh, go for it. Until next time, Satan has been bound for a thousand years. Only a thousand. A figurative thousand. Yeah. Only a thousand. <laughs> We've been toast for like a thousand years now, man. Shoot. <laughs>